Hi, I'm Liza, and I've been reading tarot professionally for well over a decade. And this is Tarot for the Modern Reader, the podcast that will teach you simple, actionable techniques to read the cards with more clarity, accuracy, and ease, so you can get real answers to real questions for real people, including yourself, in today's modern world. Whether your readings are for guidance or prediction, I'll help you 86 the doubt and confusion and take your skills and confidence to the next level so you can become the best tarot reader you know. This is Tarot for the Modern Reader. Hello and welcome to the Tarot for the Modern Reader podcast. I am your host, Liza, and this is episode number 16, The Wheel of Fortune, The World, and the Tetramorphs. Now, in the last episode, we talked about the four cardinal virtues in the tarot, and I really enjoyed learning and talking about the deeper meaning to our major arcana cards, where the history and where the meaning in these cards come from. So we are carrying that theme into this week's episode, and we are looking at two more cards in the major arcana. Once again, just like last week uh, or the last episode, four cards that you may not realize have a connection. We are going to be looking at the same thing in this episode, two cards that actually have quite an interesting and rich connection. So first of all, what is a tetramorph? Well, before we get too deep into that topic, let's start at the beginning. How often have you as a reader noticed the similarities between the Wheel of Fortune and the World card? Now, if you are just sitting at home, relaxing, listening to this podcast episode right now, go ahead and grab yourself a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, get out these two cards if you have them, particularly from the Rider weight deck if you have them, because the imagery on those two um, is the imagery that we are comparing that is very similar. Now, it's a podcast, so I realize that many of you are probably not sitting somewhere where you can pull out your cards right now. So listen along, and when you get home, take a look at these two cards or hop over to the show notes um, that accompany this uh, podcast episode, and I I will have a picture of the two cards posted there as well. So first, let's talk about the obvious similarities in the Wheel of Fortune and the world. First of all, the coloring of the original cards. They are closely similar, a nice light to medium blue background. They both feature a cyclical concept in their interpretation and even in their design. The Wheel of Fortune featuring the wheel, of course, and then the world also features a closed circle. Lastly, they both feature fantastical beasts. But upon closer inspection, we see that each of these cards actually features some of the same beasts. Now, while the Wheel of Fortune and the World card both feature creatures, the Wheel of Fortune actually features a a few additional ones. So there is the Egyptian god Anubis, who was a jackal-headed man. There is a sphinx, and there's even a serpent. But these are creatures that are tales for another day. The beasts that we're talking about that appear on both cards are in the exact same location on both. And these are the ones that we refer to as the tetramorphs. So first of all, what is a tetramorph? Let's get into a definition. Tetra, meaning four, and morphs, meaning forms. So 
four forms. When scholars discuss the tetramorph, they're talking about one beast who takes on the characteristic of each of these four, hence the morph part of its name. We'll get to that. Here we have four forms. So the information on the tetramorphs itself has morphed over the years. Like many other things, once Christianity was involved, it changed somewhat. Christians applied this to the four evangelists in their gospels, but we'll cover that too. Now, I've read discussions where terrorists are trying to figure out which beast goes with which astrological sign. So here they are, Taurus, Leo, Scorpio, and Aquarius, the fixed signs of the zodiac. Now, people are often confused which is which. Like the cardinal virtues and their respective cards, some are obvious and others not so much. So the obvious ones, starting in the lower left, are the ox, which is the sacred animal of Taurus, the bull, bull, ox, followed counterclockwise on the bottom right by Leo, the lion. Making our way up to the top right of the card, we have our next sign, Scorpio, followed lastly by Aquarius in the upper left. Now, are you confused by these last two? Most people think of the scorpion as the animal totem for Scorpio, or even a snake, and that's because Scorpio is the only sign in the zodiac to have multiple creatures who evolve. The eagle is one of the mightiest forms of the Scorpio, second only to the phoenix. Aquarius is the water bearer, and that's a mental air sign. That's represented by the head of a man. So now you know. Most people often will think that the bird in the upper right corner must be the sign for uh, the Aquarius, because Aquarius being an air sign and the bird being, um, you know, obviously an animal of the air. But that is actually the one for Scorpio and Aquarius is in the upper left with the head of the man. Okay, so what does this have to do with the astrological signs on the cards? Why are they here? Why do we feature the four fixed signs in chronological counterclockwise order? Well, this is a part that delights me the most, I have to confess. So if you have any interest in astrology or you have a little bit of a working knowledge of astrology, uh, then you will understand this even better. If you've seen a horoscope wheel, you'll be able to picture this a little bit better. If you have not seen a horoscope wheel, I will also put a picture of this in the show notes. But so you know, a horoscope wheel is literally a circle. So you can picture it like a clock and it's divided into 12 equal houses. We call them houses, but basically it's like a pie, like picture literally like a pie chart. This circle is sectioned into 12 pieces of pie. And of the 12 houses, we start on the left-hand side. House number one in an astrology chart would begin where we picture nine o'clock on the clock. So directly to the left, dead center to the left. Now, Taurus rules the second house in astrology. So the houses in an astrology chart move uh, counterclockwise. So if the first house is at nine o'clock, then the second house is the next one going along in a chronological or in a counterclockwise, uh, I'm sorry, order down to the bottom just below it. So the house for Taurus would be positioned again with our clock analogy somewhere between seven and eight o'clock. Okay, so it's in that bottom left-hand corner. 
So the first house sits dead left, and then we move around until we get to the 12th house all the way back up where it meets up with the first house again. So we know where we know where Taurus is. Taurus is in the bottom left-hand corner, right where it happens to be on the card. Leo is the ruler of the fifth house. So this one is positioned in the bottom right of the horoscope wheel, which again is where we see Leo's emblem, the lion, situated on these cards. Then of course, at this point, you know where this is going. Scorpio, the eighth house in the upper right, and Aquarius is the 11th house, all the way in the upper left of the chart, and we are nearing back to the beginning of our chart again. So they are perfectly arranged, not only in astrological order around the card, but also aesthetically, they are perfectly lining up in the card with their respective native territories in the astrology chart. So the next question we might come to is why? Why the fixed signs are featured on the Wheel of Fortune and on the world cards? So here's where we get into the when of astrology. So amongst the 12 signs and the corresponding houses, everything is laid out rather symmetrically and mathematically. Each of the 12 signs has a ruling planet and a house that it rules. So there's like 12 of everything. We have 10 planets, if we still include Pluto, and the sun and the moon, which are luminaries, but for the purposes of an astrology chart, that's 12. We have 12 signs, we have 12 houses. So you see where this is going. Taurus is the ruler of the second house, and they, the second house and Taurus, are ruled by the planet Venus. You see how this works. As you likely know, just like in tarot, there are four energies, fire, earth, air, and water. So these two will move around the 12 houses. So there are three of each. For example, the three water signs are Cancer, Scorpio, and Pisces. Now, to add one more piece to this puzzle, not to make your head spin, we also have three modalities. So we have the cardinal signs, the fixed signs, and the mutable signs. Okay, so our tetramorphs fall into the fixed signs. So this is one every three or four signs. We're going to start with Taurus, the bull, which is in our second house. And then we go three signs to Leo, which is our next fixed element. Then we go three more or I'm sorry, our fixed sign, the elements are going to be different. So Taurus is our fixed earth element. Taurus is an earth sign. Then we go three more signs to our next fixed sign, which is Leo. And that's the next element. That's fire. Then we go three more signs again, and we get to Scorpio, which is our fixed water sign. And then we come all the way around to Aquarius, which by now you've guessed is our fixed air sign. So it's a three by four matrix between the elements and the modalities. So we get a total of 12 signs with no two combinations repeating. Taurus being fixed air, Leo being fixed fire, Scorpio being fixed water, and Aquarius being fixed air. So as you go around, you can do this with all of the signs, right? So like Cancer is the cardinal water. Each sign has a modality and an element. So these are the, um, the signs that go with the fixed modality. 
Now, the question is why? Again, why? The Sabbaths that are on the Wheel of Fortune and the World cards are the reason that we are looking at these fixed signs. The Sabbaths, you might be thinking, yes. So, sure, we know that the Wheel of Fortune can often return or often refer to the turning of the wheel or the turning of the year in pagan or other similar uh, beliefs and cultures. But those occur in the cardinal signs, right? Yes and no. They do now. Now they do. Like the summer solstice occurs at the ingress of the sun into the sign of Cancer. But when we trace all the way back to the Taurian age, when these beasts were first constructed, we find that the Sabbaths actually occurred in the fixed signs. So while now we celebrate the summer solstice mid-July or mid-June as the sun enters the cardinal sign of Cancer, it didn't used to be that way. That is thanks to progressions over long periods of time. The sun actually used to reach the summer solstice in the fixed sign of Leo. Now, doesn't that actually make more sense? Leo is the sign that it rules, and this is the place that the sun shines the brightest. This is when it's the hottest. Cancer is actually home to the moon. And of course, the other three signs would follow suit around the cards as well. So the cyclical energy of the Wheel of Fortune and the World cards, because that's the other major theme of these cards. As we know, they are both linked to cyclical energy, but they display different lengths of time and different end results. Again, the Wheel of Fortune is specifically associated with the Sabbaths and the idea that the wheel is always turning. This is more of a short-term energy. The wheel is indeed always turning, so what goes up must come down and vice versa. While this card is generally positive and optimistic, as it should be because it's ruled by lucky and expansive Jupiter, it doesn't always guarantee a positive outcome. What it denotes is a change in circumstances, a turn in luck from where you are currently. Now, no matter where you are with the wheel, you will eventually come back around again. Nothing is set in stone. With the world card, the energy is far more stable. This process is more long-term. This is the last card of the Major Arcana, denoting that you have arrived. You have reached this final point. You've achieved your goal. You've reached the summit. So what is left at this point? Simply to start again, either with something new or in a new cycle of growth within the same situation. So while it is indeed still cyclical, it is also quite stable. And that is because this card is ruled by Saturn, which is a very grounding, because it's an earth sign, uh, a planet that rules an earth sign, it is a very grounding and stable and hardworking energy. Okay, I read that the Wheel of Fortune is like a ride on the Ferris wheel. You go up, you go down. Sometimes you might even go backwards, but you're constantly transitioning from high to low and your view is constantly changing. While the world card is more like a turn on the carousel, you're constantly moving in a circle, but you're not on the roller coaster of up and down anymore. You cruise around at a stable level and get a 360 degree view of all that is around you. Now, what are the reversed implications of the cyclical energy of these two cards? It's worth mentioning that the wheel being ruled by Jupiter is predominantly more positive 
than negative, though it could show a turn in favor either way. However, if you read reversals and draw the wheel reversed, it likely symbolizes a downturn in your favor at the moment. Similarly, a reversed world card, ruled by Taskmaster Saturn, indicates that while you're close, you've not yet completed all of the requirements to reach the peak or the summit or the completion of your task. You have not yet closed the circle. So where do the tetramorphs come into this picture? We're clear on why we have these forms on our cards and from an astrological perspective, what they mean, how they relate to the Sabbaths, which is a bigger part of the interpretation of these cards, you know, that they're cyclical. But who created tetramorphs and for what purpose? Why do we have those on our cards rather than just the astrological glyphs? Well, to be clear, the world card has only the head of each beast. However, they are still thought to be considered the tetramorphs as they're still featured in clouds and they're in the wheel card and with the same uncommon symbols such as the eagle and the head of the man. The true tetramorph is actually a configuration of all four of these beasts into one. So this is also called the cherubim, which is the creature that protected the Mesopotamian and Babylonian tree of life, that which spawned other trees, such as the Kabbalistic tree of life. And the cherubim were ancient protectors. These were closely related to the sphinx, which is also seen on the wheel card. There were four of these beasts, each with four faces, one of the bull, the lion, the eagle, and the man. So in this case, instead of there being four individual creatures with one face each, there were four of these beasts and each one had the four faces on it. Now, how has this changed and evolved over time? So the Christian version of the Tetramorph, these beasts were then quote unquote discovered by the Hebrew prophet Ezekiel, who claimed this vision. These are his words. As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side. And they four had the face of an ox on the left side. They also, the four, had the face of an eagle. Later, they're described in the Revelation of John. And he had this to say, and the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast was like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. These beasts were associated with the four evangelists who spread the word of God. We have the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Sound familiar? We then have the coordinating events, the incarnation, the resurrection, the passion, and the ascension. Matthew is the winged man and the incarnation. Mark is the winged lion and the resurrection. Luke is the winged ox and the passion. And John is the winged eagle and the ascension. These tetramorphs are the Christian symbols of the four evangelists. Now, this isn't the only place that they have been used. There are a myriad of other ways that the tetramorph is important. Probably far too many than this episode can go into, but they're each associated with the four elements of the tarot, fire, water, earth, and air. They're also related to the Kabbalistic name for God, the YHVH, or that which is unutterable. They're also related and used in ceremonial magic of the Golden Dawn, as well as in Freemasonry. 
So this quartet is actually quite magically significant. And this is no surprise, given what it symbolizes, that it would show up on these two particular cards. Jupiter is the ruler of the Wheel of Fortune. Now, this is quite a fortunate planet for magic, one that involves manifestation of any kind, growing energy. Jupiter is all about luck and expansion, and it is associated with Thursdays. However, the world is ruled by Saturn, and this is quite the opposite. The tetramorph is most notably used in the lesser banishing ritual. Banishing magic is best done on a Saturday, Saturn's day. So you see the connection. Okay, so that is a lot of details. I hope you feel like you know the wheel and the world cards a little bit more intimately at this point and how they are similar, but yet also what makes them vastly different and where we get some of this really interesting but strange imagery that we have on these cards that we see and, you know, we just kind of take for granted over time. So in a nutshell, both cards contain cyclical energy. The wheel is constantly turning, it is short-term, and it is a change of luck that's often predicted. While the world card indicates the long-term cycle, one that's coming to a close and you've reached the summit of a situation. So a new one will be starting soon. Okay, I have really enjoyed diving into this topic and these two cards. Again, just like talking about the four cardinal virtues, I think it is so interesting to look at some of the deeper symbolism and some of the deeper meanings on this card, on all of the cards, and to even see how cards that we might not have realized were related actually do have some very old and deep similarities. We oftentimes know that cards are related based on their numerology or their astrology, right? Like, so we might know that the tower and the emperor are related because they're both cards of Aries or Mars. Or we know that the lovers and the devil are related because they both break down to a six in numerology. But there are these other things that don't fall into a pattern like that, that, you know, make our cards relate to others in the deck that we may not have even realized, such as the virtues or, you know, these two that we talked about today with the tetramorphs. So I find it really interesting to delve deep into the history of the cards in that way as well. And if you have a topic on any of these cards and the way that they are related to other cards, deep history of the cards like this, I would love to hear about it. I would love to take your suggestions. Um, I'd love to hear what you'd like to hear about, what you'd like to talk about when it comes to uh, the history of some of the major arcana cards. Drop me a note. Uh, You can find my contact information, of course, on my website or in the show notes. You can come over to the Facebook group, Tarot for the Modern Reader. But I would love to hear from you and hear what your thoughts are on this topic and on what topics you'd like to hear about next. And lastly, if you have not subscribed to this show yet, what are you waiting for? We are 16 episodes in now, and I hope that you have been having a rocking good time listening to this new show. I have been having a wonderful time getting it out into the world to you. So if you do like it, please leave us a rating or a review. We are already um, up to nearly a thousand downloads, and this show has only been out two weeks. So I know that it has been a success, and I would love for you to share it with anyone that you think might love it as well. 
Okay, well, that is it for this episode, and I will see you in the next one. Bye for now.